0: and no one knows the future in five years. That's just a waste of time to even try to do that.
1: (laughs) I hate those questions when people are like in interviews and stuff and they're like, where do you see yourself in five years? I was always like, in five years, Peyton will be one year out of college and James will hopefully have his own family. So I'm sure me and the dog will be happy. Like, who the (laughs) hell knows what five years looks like? Like, ask me what I'm going to be like in six months. Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off-by-one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim.
2: Okay, here we go. It is show number 89. And on today's show, we're going to talk about what makes a good product roadmap. But as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails. And I guess it's my turn to go first. So I'm going to start us off with a triumph. I Finally, this week, we had our kickoff meeting for our SOC 2 compliance product usage with our team. We picked a product, we paid the bill, and, and got a couple of people together on a video chat and got to see a little bit of a tour of the product and actually like put some real data in there. And the product is now moving forward. It's no longer just an idea. Now some things have happened. Um, I've actually I've actually done a couple of the integrations, so some of the evidence collection can be automated. And I've integrated, for example, like GitHub already, and it will check that our we're using branch protection to enforce that everything that goes into production is goes through a code review. That's one of the requirements based on our trusts TSC's trust service categories. Anyway, so SOC two is rolling, and still I managed to get some other like quote unquote real work done too. This week. So,
1: so take a step back. So the SOX audit that I remember doing back in the day was because we worked with a company who were with multiple companies who were publicly traded. So it was certificates that we had to have. Is that what you're working on? Like some type of certifications for you to be like SOX compliant for publicly so traded data?
2: This is specifically called soc two S O 2 I don't know specifically what you're talking about, but potentially. It's a certification offered by the International Association for CPAs, uh, (laughs) uh, Certified Public Accountants. And basically, it's just, yeah, it's you identify like what type of business you are and what kind of information you deal with. And then that specifies certain rules that you need to abide and policies that you need to have and that sort of thing. And, And that creates a list of all these things that you need to do to achieve the certification. You prepare everything that you need to prepare, gather the evidence that you're actually encrypting data at rest. Compliant. Encrypting data yeah. in transit, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you pay an auditor from some, as far as I know, they are a CPA. They're from the IACPA. And they come in and review all your evidence and make sure that you're compliant with all the policies. And then you get the certification. And nice. And some of them are like there's type one is that like, you do it. It's just a point in time. Like as of this moment, we everything that we have and are doing is compliant. And type two is we are on a continuing basis, renewing that we are still doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing. And it's like a yearly sort of deal. And then what it is, you can go into like a sales meeting with the the head of IT of the client that you're trying to sign. And you can show them like, look, we're SOC 2 compliant with these particular TSEs. And then they can feel good that you're doing the right thing. Is The yeah. idea
0: so? Okay. The thing that drives me crazy about those is, so really, th- there isn't a SOC 2 standard. It is, you say, here's what we're doing to make sure that no one is going in and altering mm-hmm. your financial data, that we're, we have controls in place. So you tell them what the rules are, and all they do is they tell you if they think those rules are reasonable, and then you give documentation to prove that you're doing those rules. But there's really no data audit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's kind of an attestation.
1: What is the audit they do where they come in and they're like, "Oh, in your non-production environment, we see that you're storing credit card numbers that aren't encrypted." It,
0: it really has nothing to do with that yeah. sort of. I mean, the ones I've been involved with, it's all about accounting. It's who has access to go in and change data that can affect the accounting uh, yeah. of so where the where money is, and then also what are your rules about your software processes and how things are done. but
2: Yeah. I mean, Tim, I'm not surprised that the, that yours has been heavily focused on accounting. You're a financial company. Right. right. Ours is, I'm sure that we will have some of that too, but we also have the stuff like Carol was talking about. And to my understanding, to answer your question, Carol, they don't look at our database and confirm that names have been masked or changed mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. What they do is they there is a requirement that you do XYZ, And you show them that you have a policy that every time that you do, as you referred to it, I think last week, an NPE refresh, non-production
3: environment refresh,
2: part of that refresh includes like a data sanitization step. And you can show proof that it's on the checklist of things that's supposed to be done. And somehow you're supposed to be able to, and maybe I'll know more about this in the coming weeks and months, but you're supposed to be able to prove that you're actually following the checklist. And if you can prove all these things and provide evidence that convinces your auditor, then they will give you credit for it and you can get the certification
3: so I don't know if this was for the SOC 2 compliance that we did or for some other type of audit but I feel like there were also cases where you could mm, present arguments why their rules weren't important like they could mm-hmm. say every computer has to be password protected and you could present evidence well this computer itself doesn't have to be password protected because it's air gapped and it's inside you know mm-hmm. a bank fault yeah So therefore, it doesn't matter.
1: Doesn't require. Yeah, Yeah, no,
2: there's, I think it's a blessing and a curse that they intentionally leave some gray area there because they understand that not every business is going to run exactly the same as every other business. There's a lot of variation. And and so, yeah, you're right. There's the ability to say that this particular requirement is not applicable to us and you give a reason why or it's not applicable to this particular chunk of data or this computer like you're saying. And yeah, you could just have to provide a, an explanation that
0: satisfies your auditor. So you could tell I do have a problem with this whole thing because I think it's <laughs> a pointless point exercise that doesn't solve any problems. Because the history of this is this came out during, if you remember, Enron, WorldCom, Tyco. There was a huge, yep. yeah, all those. There was conflicts of interest with an incentive competition practices and no one was there was no real watchdog and so they passed this sarbanes oxley that's what sock stands for sarbanes oxley act to like handle this but what they are actually doing during the audit doesn't really they just say what are your rules and you say mm-hmm. okay here's what we're doing how can you prove that and you can prove it and there's really i mean there's they never you you give an answer they very rarely push back and they don't really dig in deep, so I don't know how any of this will prevent yeah. what happened with Enron over again. This is, this is getting this socks thing could be a whole topic for me. It so, totally yeah. could I'm, be
1: because I get really confused by it about what they actually reveal and what you and I'm give to them. Right?
0: I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how much Adam knows about it because he's like knows all the lingo. I'm just, I just yeah. know how it affected me, and I'm like, <laughs> so <laughs> what is the purpose of this? Right? And this is what you're doing. Mm. I, what, your purpose and what you're actually doing are two different things. They don't match. Yeah. Yeah, I think they honestly have expanded it.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's a good faith effort to try and show that you're doing the right thing. And then the benefit, the benefit that we're going to get from it and the reason that we're spending the money to go through the process on the software and on my time and other people's time to do it is that it's supposed to and apparently will reduce a lot of frustration and manual work and terrible spreadsheet. It exchanges of security questions during the right. sales
0: process. You know, oh, right. and wow. that's, instead of that's what it's become. It's a label now, right? It started out as we're going to prevent Enron from happening again. Mm-hmm. But honestly, if you're an Enron and you're already cheating people, you don't think you're going to cheat the Socks auditor? Yeah, no way. you're going right. to bypass it. <laughs> so it's become a good housekeeping stamp of approval. It's what it's mm-hmm. become. And companies and these auditors make a huge amount of money and spend a whole lot of your time to get this stamp of approval so you can hand it to another company and say, hey, look, we're above board. Yeah. When, in fact, you could totally not be above board.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's the the reality of the
2: situation is that like 80 plus percent of the stuff that this is telling us that we should be doing, there's a really good chance that we're already doing. And the other 20 percent is either like we didn't know or doesn't apply or like we just hadn't gotten to it yet or, or that sort of thing.
0: I mean, the positive I will say about it, even though it's wildly expensive and time-consuming, it does make you look at your processes. Oh, and yeah. You look at what you're storing, what, how you're storing data, particularly financial data, and look at it and go, "Oh, I didn't know we were doing that," and fix it. Yeah. So, All is right. yep. this
1: the one where you even have to like lay out what your plan is for if you were to have a breach? Like, you have to give them like what your response is, or is that a different audit that we went through?
2: There is a part of it that like one of the TSCs that we selected does. Require that we do penetration testing, but mm-hmm. I don't think that it necessarily, again, ask me again in say a month and I'll probably know a lot to, better. But the answer I, may I change, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I haven't come across <laughs> anything yet that is like, okay, in the event of a breach, this is how we'll handle it.
1: This but, is that response, this is how long we have to respond. Yeah.
2: Okay. Right. And there's other things like there's just common sense stuff that I want to do that may or may not be listed on there. But like, I want to have a security responsible disclosure page on our website and in our documentation stuff. And I want to have potentially like a bug bounty or something. I don't know. But anyway, we're like way down a rabbit hole here. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay.
1: (laughs) Let's just go back. This was a triumph, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. The triumph One was triumph. that
2: I, I have started the work here on this sock two thing, and I've also still managed to get some other work done too. So feeling good about that. Some real work, right? This is the meta Great work. job,
1: Adam. We're proud of Thanks. you. <laughs> yeah,
2: the sock stuff is just meta work, so that we can continue working, and I'm managing to get real work done too. So I'm happy about that. But let's <laughs> move on. Ben, <laughs> how you doing, man?
3: Me I'm doing good and I should say I'm doing much better than I have been doing the last two shows where I think I was clocking in failures of just feeling overwhelmed. Yay! Mm. Good for you man. Yeah, I'm I'm going triumph today, hard triumph and uh, I'm I feel like over the last week or so I've made some really exciting steps at work. So mm-hmm. fundamentally at work we deal with prototypes and prototypes are composed of flat PNG and JPEG files that people upload. And I have, for the last few years, been very enamored with this idea of breadboarding, which was presented by the people from Basecamp about creating super low fidelity, more like brainstorming ideas than actual designs. So you can design a screen just by saying what's supposed to be on it instead of being quote unquote bogged down with design itself. So like, here's the title of the page. Here's a bullet list of what's supposed to be on it. Here's some calls to action. And like that's the extent of just kind of getting what's in your head out on paper. It's a prototype for the prototype. Yeah, exactly. So that's a great way to put it. And I was like, it would be kind of cool if we could somehow overlay that concept onto the functionality that we have at work. And uh, ideally, what I'd like to do is create some sort of form where people can start to enter information. And then I snapshot that as a PNG. Now, there's a really cool library called HTML. I think it's, let me check. It's called HTML to Canvas. Yeah, HTML to Canvas by this guy, Nicholas von Hertzsen. And basically, you can just take a screenshot in the browser of the currently rendered page. And he does it by looking at the runtime styles of all the elements on the page and writing those to canvas and then taking the canvas and creating a blob that he then converts to an image. And it's really cool. And but we talked about this the other day, I think, in the notes to self that if I need to introduce a third party dependency, now I have to go talk to security
1: so many steps.
3: Yeah. And on the HTML to Canvas page in the About Me somewhere, I think in the GitHub About Me, he says, this is not production ready. You should not be using this for a production <laughs> application. <laughs> so I thought to myself, all right, understand fundamentally what he's doing. I mean, it's all magic. I don't know how he's doing it. But fundamentally, I understand that he's taking the browser and calculating things and writing to Canvas. I'm like, let me take a day and see if I can get a proof of concept working using the same idea. And over the course of, I think it was a Wednesday, I took an entire Wednesday and I basically just got, here's a div with a title and here's a div with some text and here's a div with a button. And can I use things like window.getComputedStyle and get bounding client rect or whatever it's called, and essentially say, here's the paddings and the borders and the font properties, and here's the top left width and height of the element. Can I then do canvas 2D rendering to, to try and render this as an image. And at the end of a day, I had some blocks and some text doing some things.
1: No way. And yeah,
3: it was very exciting. So yay. I was like, okay, so then I created a modal window in our application where you could build this little thing and you could hit publish. And essentially, what it does again is it just takes all that jazz that you put together, renders it in an image, and then uploads it to the same existing upload image API that we have today. So essentially I'm just creating like a very poor man's sketch <laughs> application. So then I got that working and then I'm like, yeah, but it, it kind of sucks that you can't edit it because once I flattened to it an image, there's no data. So then I had to build a data table to persist the kind of JSON blob, which meant, okay, now I'm going to create a, a MySQL table that has a JSON column. And I've never done that before. So that was really <laughs> exciting. And then, I don't know, it was just, I stepped my way from this. Let me take a day of R&D to see if I can make this happen at all. To like a week and a half later, I feel like I have a fairly full-fledged feature in the application running where people can create these breadboard placeholders, come back, edit them, see how they're overlaid on the screen, create links between them using the existing functionality. And I don't know, I just feel like I took the this like spark, this baby spark of an idea and I grew it into an adolescent teenager who apparently doesn't want to learn how to drive. <laughs>
1: So do you have this out being used? Yes. On oh, yeah. Nice. nice.
3: I'm, on, I'm on the legacy platform. Yeah, I don't wait yeah. for anything.
1: No. So your development not only is out there, it also does not contain a note that says not production ready yet. I think that's a win in itself.
2: Ben was just developing it in production over FTP. (laughs)
1: Yep. Nobody knew.
2: Checks out.
0: Can confirm.
2: So hang on, I want to confirm something real quick. You're saying breadboards, like the food
3: bread? No, so there's a, there's no, I think it's from an electrical engineering term. Oh yeah, yeah, Breadboards are like a thing you put chips on, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's Um, a, yeah. When you're putting together circuits, you can use a breadboard to verify you've got everything That it It works works without like soldering it together. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I I think that's where they, that's where the 37 signals guys, I don't know if they coined the term from a software engineering standpoint or if they just, or if they borrowed it from somewhere else. I mean, clearly they borrowed it from the electrical engineering breadboard, but I think that's the idea is it's very rough proof of concept, just Mm -hmm. seeing if the idea works before you actually pour any design effort into it. Right. That makes sense.
1: Total like side tangent from that. We got an email. We never do that. We got an email that was like, hey, while you're doing your career conversations, we think that you guys should totally talk about the four Ds of software development and about how design's important. Well, I was like, the four Ds? I was like, are we talking about some type of like anatomy here? I was like, what the <laughs> hell? And I immediately went off on this is not a software thing, right? And I Google it. I'm like, oh, look. It is a real thing.
0: <laughs> so,
1: yeah. So your mind don't, out
0: the gutter, Carol. I don't know
1: where things like come from or how they evolve, but calling something the four Ds of what we do is not what <laughs> I think not of when I hear four Ds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways,
2: yeah. So uh, before so. we move on, Ben, I, and I don't want to throw a, a wrench in your gears or anything here, but yeah. talking, uh, hearing you describe how this works, where you're like sort of trying to redraw HTML elements in the in canvas so that you can get a screenshot from JavaScript and then, I assume that you're like uploading that image so that it can be yeah. saved on a server or something. So I mean, if server side control is in the is an acceptable path to take, I think that there's an easier way to go about this and you'll get something. And now I get that the whole point here is for it to not be pixel perfect, but if you already have some HTML or if you can easily throw together HTML to represent what you want to represent, it is really surprisingly easy to use Puppeteer to like pop open a browser instance and tell it to take a screenshot and save that. So you can just be like, yeah. here's some HTML in a file, give me a
3: screenshot. 100%. And again, if this were not the legacy application and people mm-hmm. would not wring their hands at me adding infrastructure because infrastructure, <laughs> oh my God, we're doing... Just now, in the light of all of the, to say it nicely, the reorganization that we've done lately Mm -hmm. (laughs) at work, Uh, we've been doing a lot of cost analysis of the platform and AWS and Lambda and all that stuff. Oh my God. We have petabytes of files stored on S3. I literally have never known anybody who had petabytes of anything. (laughs) I you have to be in our registry for that? (laughs) <laughs> <I don't, it's, laughs> it took not a second. It took me a second, yeah. I mean, that's just, sorry, I forgot where I was going off. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the idea of adding additional infrastructure to do anything is like not a conversation that anyone at the organization is going to have at this time. But yes, I agree. Fair enough, that yeah. Doing it, this was, again, this was the path of least resistance. Sure, and necessity but is the, the mother of invention. The most frustrating thing is, So I took this concept. I got through the R and D. I proved it out. I built it. I deployed it. People are using it. I have analytics on it showing clicks and some interactions. So I put it into our internal TV demos channel and like one person. (laughs) That's like one person was like, well, that's cool. And it's like, (laughs) again, I understand no one's on the legacy platform. I'm sure. 80% of the people look at my video and wonder why I'm even working on the legacy platform at all. But it's like, it's built up so huge in my mind and I'm feeling all the celebration and I'm seeing the journey and overcoming hardship. And then to put it out there and get like almost no feedback. It's very, it's, it's incredibly demoralizing.
1: But. Listen, we want to join this thread, like this channel, just to give you props because we love what you
3: do. <laughs> you want to, you want to hear like the saddest thing? This is like the <laughs> the Slack version of sending yourself flowers at work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, let's go, let's hear it.
3: I will post my video and then I'll just put like a whole bunch of my own emoji reaction, like some re, like all the reactions on it. And I'm like, these are like party the panda. People, yeah, yeah. I'm like, these are all the things people would put on there if they they (laughs) care.
1: Listen, you're just making it easier. So no one has to like reply. Like they can just click on your automatic like entry. They're like party panda. Yes. Plus one.
3: There you go. There you go. Paving the path. (laughs) Oh, all right. Great job on
1: winning. Great job, Ben. Thank
3: you. Thank you. Thank you. It feels good to be back. Tim, what about you? What do you got going on?
0: Curse you, Ben. You transferred your fails to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this this whole well not the whole week. So like end of the week, Friday, all of a sudden I was just I've been in a big brain fog Friday through Tuesday, just in a complete brain fog. I just can't think straight. I don't have COVID. Just I just can't think. I look at a page and I can't read. It's I don't know. Maybe I have temporary ADD. I I don't know what's going on with me. But yeah, I just it was had a, a really rough patch there for several days where I just. Really couldn't do anything. I tried my best. I was just going
2: to say, I think that uh, you got a case of the fog. An old guy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was good. I'll give you that one. one. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe the kids did start back to school and on, on previous podcasts I talked about, I sort of have this sort of mental hang up about going back to school because i was bullied in, in school so maybe that was it but yeah finally by wednesday it lifted and i was back in the game and today i had an extremely productive day so i'm pretty happy about that it was just it was like mourning the waste mourning the wasted time right it's like all I, I even over the weekend i didn't have work to do i couldn't do anything around the house i could i watched i just watched I binge watch tv pretty much all day long and just barely got out of bed so i just think I had a little depressive episode there and but i'm back baby i'm back
1: well i'm glad you took your mental back. break okay. and now you're back because that's good yeah
0: yeah I didn't plan on a mental break but i guess uh, my my mind told me i had to so you
1: gotta do what you
0: gotta so anyway. do sometimes yep for sure i appreciate that how about you carol
1: Oh, man. Thanks, Ben, because this is apparently like trickle-down effect here. Just going <laughs> to throw this out there. You know how, like some days you have good days and some days you have great days and other days are just like fantastic?
0: can confirm.
1: I've had none of those lately. <laughs> Let's just no. be clear. I just, I am ending every day with a list of things I need to accomplish tomorrow bigger than what I started with when the day started. And it's just piling up and I know it's because of the time right now we're at like a quarter in we're doing reviews and I'm pretty like serious about when people tell me something like I take it to heart and I work very hard to resolve issues for my team because I care about how their success is so when I'm like reviewing some of these requests I'm like okay let me go into these reviews with the ability to actually answer like what their concerns are which takes up a lot of time of just being like okay Let me go find the answers to these questions. So then the list of things from yesterday just do not get accomplished. And then tomorrow's list is just even bigger. So last night, I couldn't sleep. So I ended up getting up at like 1130 and was like, I need to write code. Like This is the only thing (laughs) I need to do because right now laying in bed, I know how to fix this this morning, I didn't know how to fix it. And I had a lot on my plate. And I've kind of been thinking through it. But I was like, I know how to fix this right now. So I came in here, got my computer and like worked till like one o'clock this morning and was like, oh, hell yeah, my code works. And I'm super happy about this. And now I can go to sleep. So then I got this morning, like 6am and was like, let's go. And then I was like, actually, I'm going to sleep another hour. <laughs> but then I was like, let's <laughs> get up again. And now let's actually get going. So when I was going this morning, I actually felt more motivated because I actually pro like, solved one of the big problems. It's been lingering around all week, but I still just am ending every day with a to-do list that's just growing and growing. And I hope by next week I can get out from underneath that and actually start making progress on some things. But the good thing is, is the top things that I'm checking off are things that people need for their career and for their growth. So I am proud of what I'm checking off. It's just, it is frustrating to not end at some point. <laughs>
3: Is this, do you think, because you've taken much more of a management role the last couple of months or is it just...
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. That's exactly what it is. And it doesn't help that my boss told me, I am so happy you're taking these things off my plate because he's like (laughs) asking (laughs) questions. He's like, oh, what about this? I'm like, oh, that's done. That's done. This is done. Like we've hired three new people. And he's like, what about all these things? I'm like, I took care of them. We got it covered. Just go back to what you were doing. That was the point of promoting us, right? So then now when things do pop up, I'm like, oh, I'll take that on. Like you go do your thing. What you're doing is way more important. So I'll take some of this work off your plate. But then my plate just keeps growing. And I'm like, where am I supposed to write code at? (laughs) Somebody just let me code again.
0: (laughs) Learn to say no, Carol.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: The stuff that's piling up, is this coding work or is this management work?
1: Coding work. That is the thing I'm letting slide first. Yeah. The thing that's piling up at the deadlines on the project. So then I'm having to like talk to the product owner and be like, Hey, this is still not done. Do you want me to offload it to someone else with where I am? Or do you want me to keep holding it? Because here's why I'm not getting done with it. And they're like, Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. This isn't like super critical. You're good. Keep going with it. So then, but that is the very first thing I drop now is what I have to do for code and, people work is more important because growing the team is more important than getting some code out because everyone I'm growing can write the code. Just Mm -hmm. make sure they're growing. You're a
2: force multiplier now, Carol.
1: Trying. (laughs) Trying my best. (laughs) But next week, I plan to have less of a to-do list. Yay.
2: Heck yeah. Yay. All right. I guess that wraps up Triumphs and Fails. So now let's talk about what makes a good roadmap. And, And Tim, you kind of brought this in. Do you want to give us the intro here?
0: Yeah, sure. So so at work, we are a company of many companies, Constellation Software, which is a Canadian company and has uh, thousands of software companies, all software companies. And they do these things, kind of a best practices thing. So when I was in May, I was at a conference, not really a conference, sort of like a just a meeting of different people from different companies and different positions. And they gave us all an assignment. We had to come up with a topic. And then we would, as a group, and these it's all different roles and different companies, and then come up with a best practices playbook. And the idea is across all these thousand, over a thousand companies, they can build these best practices and have them for whenever they, because they're constantly buying new companies. When a new company comes on, they can say, here's the best practice for X and here's the best practice for Y. And so one of the things we chose was product roadmaps. and because to be honest, I've been in a product role. And technically, I'm getting more into a, a product manager type role. And building a, a roadmap, both internal and external, is really hard. And a lot of the roadmaps that I see that come from other companies tend to suck. That They're not truthful. In fact, that's what we're calling it. Roadmaps, be honest. What we're trying to tackle is how do you build a honest reliable roadmap okay so
2: i mean maybe we should start with you sharing some of the stuff that's in your plan already or your best practice here i guess for uh, maybe start a little bit from first principles like for somebody who doesn't really understand what a roadmap is how is it different from like a project plan or what purpose does it what need does it solve
0: all right so here's how we're defining it and totally i'm asking For help here. Come back to you, Carol. So how we're defining it is that a roadmap, it's it's a long-term development plan that provides all the stakeholders with information they need. Now, that means nothing. But basically, a roadmap is to say, we have a current product. Here's how it is now. Here's how it's going to be in the future. So here's things that we're going to add. Here's things that we're going to add new features. Or here's completely new products as a company that we're going to build. And present that both internally to the company, because you give a lot more detail to inside the company as to the reasons why and things like that. And then and also sort of a marketing thing for your existing customers to say, we know the product is this right now, or we know that our product suite is missing these pieces of software, but here's what's coming down the road. And so that's what we're defining as a product roadmap. Are there like dates on this thing? Typically, right? And the roadmap is we're shooting for. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, definitely. We're shooting for to have this done within Q2 of next year. Or And I don't, without getting too far down the road, that's the part that usually I have a problem with. It's like, mm-hmm. what happens if you don't hit that, right? Are you saying yeah. you failed? So how do you deal with that, right? It's like software always takes a lot longer than you think. So how do you deal with that?
1: I was going to say, like what we do. So like, for instance, we have a initiative right now, which is to improve our vendor communication, right? So that's one of our big roadmap like items right now is to address everything that came back from our like state of the user like survey that we sent out. And it's what they said were problems with the system. So in our roadmap, we have like three quarters worth of work that are addressing how we will improve communication with our vendors. So each quarter, there are these big projects Like the one I was on with the autoresponder, for instance, or this last one I was on where we moved messaging inside the system and took them out of email. Now there's another one going on where we're changing how we actually bulk email people. Like there's a lot going on. Those are then broken out into very small Pieces of work that are then distributed to the team. So, while what's presented to the company and to like our outfacing vendors is, hey, our roadmap is we're going to improve communication over the next year, we're going to focus on improving communication. But what gets like pushed down to the team level, to the granular level, to the people doing the work is here is how your work contributes to this big overarching like roadmap. You are going to make sure that our communication is reliable. And that it's delivered on time and that we respond as needed. So, while our customer service team is the people responsible for actually responding in a like true, like timely manner, we're responsible for making sure all that's measurable. And we're responsible for making sure that there is no delivery failures. So, we're able to see like our small, tiny piece of it play into this big, giant one line bullet and a roadmap that says we're going to improve overall communication with our vendor. So you do have to take like big pieces out and then break them into smaller ones. And we use ClickUp for it. ClickUp's amazing for that stuff, like breaking it out. Everyone can see what's going on. So
0: you said ClickUp? Click up?
1: ClickUp. Yep. ClickUp. ClickUp. I'll
2: have to check that out.
1: Yeah.
2: I feel like this is one of those episodes where I'm going to be opening a lot of tabs in my browser. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yep, we love. I actually like there are uh, several people who do not enjoy working in ClickUp. I love ClickUp because ClickUp gives you the ability to have like your big bullet point that's like, here's my top level objective, which is improve vendor communication. And then I have All of these lower level pieces and each one of them play into like a quarter level view, right? So whenever we finish a a project, we're able to like mark that as done. Or I'll go in there and be like, oh, we're halfway done with that because we're getting close to handing this off to QA. So it makes me feel super happy to see like 50%, 75%. And then all of a sudden I see the big goal, like going from nothing achieved to we're 25% uh, like achieved on this mm-hmm. goal. Like for me I'm numbers and I'm visual, so feeling like we're making progress or something is big for me. Like I can see it. I'm like yes our yeah. roadmaps being delivered. Yeah. Yes. Seeing those product
2: or <laughs> uh, progress bars start to move. That's it's huge. For me. It's huge. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. I can <laughs> commit code all day long and I know I'm doing a good job, but if you put a nice little like Fourth way, full green bar over on the right hand side. I am way happier than I've ever been all day. I'm getting there. Yay. Cool.
0: So, I mean, that's what we consider to be a roadmap. So, I mean, folks could argue one way or another, but that's what we're saying. Yeah. One thing I found interesting in here that we came up with, and I, it wasn't me who came up with this, and I, I don't, there's no reference here. I don't know where these numbers come from. They talk about how to structure work on a roadmap and they break tasks down into three different types. So they say on your roadmap, you should have 40% new features, products, or models. So anything that would be a significant change to your product. And then 40% customer care, bugs, slow down, it stops and t- interferes with your customer's daily business. And then 20% technical debt. Of course, when we all know what technical debt is. There's is a big section explaining that because there's the group that we're presenting to is from all different backgrounds as far as work roles. So a lot of people don't know what technical debt is. They would think, oh, that's just customer care. Well, mm-hmm. well no. we as programmers know it's not, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, don't know how, I don't know how those breakdowns come down. I, I don't disagree with them. I just don't know why they were picked that way.
3: 40-40-20. New features, customer care, technical debt. I think it's great that you have actually on your roadmap time for fixing features that are broken and for technical debt cuz i feel like every roadmap that i've ever seen is all about new features and i think that causes mm-hmm. a lot of contention between okay. the product side of the house and the engineering side of the house yep. because i oftentimes think that the product side views life as this sort of zero sum game meaning that if you're not working towards this one giant awesome amazing goal then you're somehow implicitly taking away from it by working mm-hmm. on other things with the opportunity costs and but that's just not how life works when it comes to complex pieces of software. There's always a lot of multifaceted stuff that has to be taken into account. And I think it's really admirable that your roadmap is taking that stuff into account. So uh golf clap well you are,
0: say my roadmap, but let me be clear. I don't have a roadmap at work. <laughs> I've <I'm> done <not built. laughs> no, I don't have one. This is not written by this is not me. I'm not an expert on roadmap it's just like right? a this is a collaborative effort from a bunch of people, which is kind of why our parent company does this. They're like, we got a lot of smart people. Let's see what, what you guys say, what best practices are, even if you're not doing them. And then, of course, then afterwards they're going to say, well, how come you're not doing best practices whenever right. we're not? So we are basically, we're basically building our own bomb for ourselves. <laughs> the beatings <laughs> will continue until morale improves. Exactly.
1: I will add, I had that exact same conversation today where our product owner was like, oh, yeah, you guys pointed that at an eight. So I just assumed it would be done like the first week of September. I was like, you just assumed we had resources to put on it. No <laughs> one's working on this. No one's going to be working on this till the first week of September. So if you need this prioritized, you need to tell us to bump it up in the backlog. Otherwise it's not getting worked. You can't just assume because we put an eight on it that, yeah, it'll be done by the first week of September. That's not how this works. There's still people who have to do the job who are working on Zendesk, who are still maintaining work that they just put out, who are developing what they're on. Like we went through this. That doesn't mean it's in work right now. Like you can't just say points equal a date. That's not how this works. You wait till we get resources to it. Oh, it's so frustrating.
2: It's so frustrating. So I would really like to go back to the idea of having technical debt on your roadmap. Well, so what I think this brings up is the idea of having an internal and an external or public Mm -hmm. facing roadmap, at least to your stakeholders versus your team. And like, I think it makes total sense to have technical debt on your internal roadmap. But I think in a lot of situations like mine, for example, having something that says we have done less than perfect work and we need to go back and clean it up on a public-facing roadmap, people are just going right. to be like, why am I paying you to do less than perfect
3: <laughs> yeah. work? Yeah, <laughs> Can't you just build it right the first time? Yeah. Exactly. That,
0: and that's one thing that as we actually are talking right now, I did mark up our document and say, we, we didn't explicitly say, do these go on the public-facing roadmap, right? So technical debt, I wouldn't imagine you would, right? Who cares? Your public, your people using your product, it, it's not going to fix anything. It's just going to make the code more maintainable.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: My other question is customer care ones, bugs, slowdowns, anything that stops or interferes with your customer's daily business. I mean, we also didn't explicitly say, does that go on the only the internal one? And I would mm-hmm. say, yes, it only goes in the internal one. Because if you publish out there, one, you're admitting your flaws in public, which for marketing reasons isn't great. And two, it's like, they're going to say, Well, you're going to spend, why don't you spend 80% of your time or 90% of your time on these bugs and slowdowns that affect my daily business? I don't care about this new X widget or whatever. If You can't even get this right. So I think that, yeah, the 40-40-20, the customer care ones and the technical debt, they only show up on your internal facing one. And so that's to let people know, hey, we know we're going to be building new stuff, but we're not going to stop trying to fix the stuff that we already know is an issue. And therefore we can budget time.
2: When you're showing off your public roadmap to stakeholders and they ask you, like, this is all you're planning on doing for the next year. Why aren't you doing more? Right. It seems like you should be able to get that done in less time than a full year. How do you justify? I mean, certainly you can say, well, look, if you guys (laughs) would stop filing support tickets, then we would be able to spend more time working on new (laughs) stuff. But you have to handle customers and their expectations with a certain grace. Right. You can't yeah. just be like, this is part of the software thing. This is the way the world works. Sorry, you don't like it. But that's you can't be you can't give them the blunt truth
1: Right,
2: that technical debt right. happens and customer care work is necessary.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that that we talk about is that so you spend a lot of time on your roadmap and you, you want to share it, but you should share your roadmap at a high level. And just use it to show the direction. And so you you show it at a high level, you give, and I need to make a note of this too, we don't cite this, but I would think a good practice would be the internal roadmap, you set certain dates, right? And then you pad out those dates on your public facing one, right? Mm -hmm. So that if you deliver early, you look like a rock star. And for starting out, people are going to complain. But if you just consistently do this year after year, they're going to start to believe that your roadmap is accurate, even though you're kind of padding it internally, which is totally necessary. But yeah, talk it. And then for those kind of the question that you gave, Adam, so I think these are things that kind of become discussions with the customer. Depending how big you are, we don't have millions of customers. We have under 100 so those can be conversations with, you. you discuss the roadmap with them, and then you, and when those things come up, they say, well, why is this the only thing you're doing? And then you just kind of explain, well, we recognize that there are current bugs, there's current issues, and those are also, we're working on those as well at the same time. And also computers, we, you kind of explain technical debt to them. Code over the years, it, even though it doesn't change, it kind of, there's, assumptions that were made before that are no longer valid and things really need to be refactored or, re- or changed in a way that they're more efficient to maintain. And so we're spending a, also a portion of time on that. So yes, we would like to spend a lot more time on these new features that you want, but in the reality, we have to do both. You can't, you, you have to continue to clean your house while you're putting on an addition.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You actually have some points in there that I love. It's like, basically when you're talking about this, you have quality, cost and time, right? Mm. So it's like, simply said, you will not get a quick, high quality solution for a low cost. Mm-hmm. You must pick two of the three points, do it yeah. quick and cheap, but with poor quality or do it high in a short amount of time, but you're going to spend a fortune paying for that <laughs> like lower time. Right. And it makes sense because When you put more money on it to get it done faster, you put more resources on it. And I'm not saying that more resources always means better quality because we've all seen situations where you throw more resources at a project and it just burns to the ground because nobody can communicate with what's going Mm -hmm. on. Like it, it happens. But typically that's what happens. Like you're like, okay, high quality, short time doesn't happen. High quality means it takes time to develop, to design to deliver, like those things aren't quick and you have to just kind of figure out what are your important things. Do you want quality or do you want it out the door? That's how tech debt happens because people decide that I want it out the door and I don't want quality. What's more important is that it's here on Monday, not that it's here in seven Mondays from now when you've designed it correctly.
0: And I mean, I think the portion of it that i agree with most is getting buy-in internally.
1: Oh, Um, huge, right?
0: Yeah, because I I have in the past tried to build product roadmaps and I didn't do this step well enough and it led to all my efforts pretty much being wasted, right? So, and depending on the size of your company, you have different people and and if it's a small company, multiple people, a couple people, two, three people could fulfill all these roles, but you need buy-in from your leadership team and by buy-in, if you're the person in charge of product, you build a roadmap, get with your team, and you say, hey, here's all the new products and features. And you kind of build that part of it because typically you'd probably know that. But you talk to your leadership team and say, all right, what new products do we do we need? What things do we need to fix? And you get buy-in from them on that. You talk to your customer-facing teams and you say, all right, what are the things that your customers are complaining about mo- the most? What would do, you know, we really need to shore up here.
4: Right.
0: You talk to your development teams and say, okay, what? here's our new features, here's the bugs, because, and here's the technical, what technical debt do you think needs to be added in here? And do you agree with all these other things? And also legal. A lot of times, if you have a legal department, Compliance they're, for- yeah, they're forgotten, right? Compliance, how's this going to affect contracts existing? And then we, we list human resources. I'm struggling to find out, figure out what they could add to this. I don't know. Human resources tends to deal with the employees that you have, but that's what we're saying. But So the thought is, Get all your stakeholders involved as early as possible, act for feedback, react on it, get confirmation and approval from all of them, and then communicate on a regular basis internally about how the roadmap is progressing so that you can explain any sort of issues or things that are coming up with it.
1: So for human resources, I think it's important for us because when we're asking our teams to deliver something, if our people we call them the people team, right? So if our people team don't have a clear understanding of where the company is going, it's hard for them to protect the people, right? So you need their buy-in because they're the ones that have to protect your employees. They're the ones that help keep people happy, who help understand the market, who help understand like hiring, all of that stuff. So they need to have an understanding of what you're requesting of your people before they can protect them.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Yes, I was thinking, and, so maybe you're going in a new direction and it's going to require new technology, which requires new hires, right? Yep. So human resources, is like, oh, I need to start thinking about recruiting.
1: Or you're about to force some people onto some overtime who haven't been on overtime before. And you're like, look, we know there are deadlines and somehow our people team can just say things way nicer than I can. Because I'm like, dude, it sucks. We have to work at 6 p.m. tonight, but Suck it up, buttercup. We're getting through this. <laughs> and for some reason, the Ooh. people team just make it sound all flowery and nice. And you're like, okay, cool. I would do that.
2: So how often should you be updating your roadmap? And like, I have I could think of like, okay, we're going to release a new update to the roadmap every year, right? Or every quarter. Or I feel like I've seen some companies that just have a continually updating roadmap. It's like, okay, time like is quarterly. passing all the time. And,
4: yeah, yeah.
2: Even, even like weekly or daily, like the roadmap is just this, like continuously think of it like a Trello board, right? Like, so we've got done, planned, and in progress, and you're just moving stuff between columns. Well, you can imagine that as the roadmap out planning into the future. And then as things get done, you're moving them through. And instead of maybe like Q2 of 2023, you just say like next quarter and like quarter now, quarter plus one, quarter plus two, quarter plus three, whatever. And that way it's things are just constantly moving in one direction. I guess what I'm saying is like, is there a good piece of advice that anybody has?
3: There's nothing in here on that. That's a good question. And then sort of dovetailing with the idea of how often you update it, how far out into the future do you look?
4: Mm.
1: Not bar. Yeah, that's also not in here. Like I get there are some big pictures, right? But the state of like, for what I do, our software is all about the state of mortgages home sales, inspections, like all of that's what my software does. So ours is fluctuating based off of things like refinances, things like home sales, homes available. So as that changes, like our roadmap has to change to match the market. So we're in a market that isn't quarter to quarter. There are big changes. So we have to change what we're doing. So like right now, our initiative is to be the number one provider for products that digitize like modern appraisals. So, of course, there's a ton of efforts under that, but that's where we're trying to go is somewhere that takes you more modern and digitizing what we do. So it's great. But if in six months everything crashes, then our roadmap has to completely change from what it is like COVID completely changed our roadmap. We went from trying to be more in-house and more people focused to now we're doing everything via point of contact, taking pictures of their own homes. So I think part of your roadmap planning depends on what your market is and what's available to you and where you're going with it. Mm. So five years is great, but three months is really important sometimes.
0: Yeah, no one knows the future in five years. That's just a waste of time (laughs) to even try to do that.
1: I hate those questions when people are like in interviews and stuff and they're like, where do you see yourself in five years? I was always like, In five years, Peyton will be one year out of college, and James will hopefully have his own family. So I'm sure me and the dog will be happy. Like, who the (laughs) hell knows what five years looks like? Like, ask me what I'm going to be like in six months. I'm going to be trying to be the best version of myself I can be. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Five years? That's weird. Sorry, didn't mean to go off. (laughs) I I
0: think you made a good point there before you went on your rant. Um, (laughs) Sorry, it does kind of depend on your.
1: Your market. On the, yeah, where are Your market talking. that you're
0: dealing with, right? I mean, the rate of change for a company that's servicing the insurance and banking sec- sector is going to be very different from, I'm trying to think, higher ed. Lately. I mean, and I'm trying to think of something that's really fast changing. What would be a stock, stock market? People that are constantly making updates. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, stock market software itself, I don't know if it would be changing often. I don't know. I mean, you, you,
1: so for us, There's we, some companies. we went from focusing on like home sales because that's what was happening a few months ago to all of a sudden the government's like spiking interest rate. So now all of our products that we're focusing on are refinances, are HELOCs, you know, your home equity line of credit. Mm-hmm. Those are the things now where we're putting more of our focus on because the market has taken a dip in new sales and we're on to people trying to use the equity that they've already built in their home. So we constantly have to change based off what the market's doing, where we put our money through sort of our products.
0: Yeah, I would think depending on like you said the customer space that you're playing in and the rate of change that is expected, your roadmap could be very short or very, or over a year, maybe 2 years. I think the important thing is that you need to make sure it's and it help your customers understand it's also flexible. You don't yeah. want to like some new covid hits and now all of a sudden Priorities change. There's a new need now. Software needs to react to that. You're not going to say, nope, nope, nope. Our roadmap said we're not doing anything like that. We're stuck so here we're st- for
1: three good years, boys. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So you react and say, here's, but you have good reasons. Here's why we're changing this. Mm-hmm. We're adding this new feature because it makes sense right now. Yep. We're pushing this one further down the road, but it's still on the roadmap. Yep. So the
3: roadmap really needs to be a
0: dynamic living document, I think. For whatever
3: reason, this just reminded me way back in the day, I think I used to watch Shark Tank. I don't know if it was Shark Tank or a precursor to Shark Tank.
1: Like that's the, where they come on with their ideas and are yeah, like, yeah. hey, buy my product.
3: Okay. Sometimes people come on with a product and it's just clearly a terrible idea. <laughs> like, like you can't wrap your head around how anyone would think it's a good idea And the judges would be asking you, oh, how much effort have you put into this? And they'd be like, oh, I've poured the last 20 years of my life into this and I've refinanced my home and I've taken loans from all of my family members. And it just at some point you have this vision of what you want a product to be and no amount of evidence will convince you that it's the wrong path. And it's it's like you have, the roadmap has to be a guide, not a master. And sometimes I feel like, People get tunnel visioned until this is what's on the roadmap. So we can't deviate. And no matter what our customers are saying, we can't deviate. No matter what our engineers are saying, we can't deviate. But it's so hard to know because like, there is something to be said about grit and determination. And there are people who win by sticking to their guns. But clearly there are people who have no sense of reality and ruin their lives by sticking to their guns. It's hard to, It's hard to know.
0: I think with the roadmap, when you communicate with your customers, there's three things that can happen. One, they just go, oh, that's nice, which means they're ambivalent to it, or they don't even say anything. Two, they say, hey, do you think you can move this feature up sooner? And now they're interested, or they're like, oh, we can't wait for that. All right, this is a legitimate idea. Or three, they're like, we have no idea why you're working on that. Who's going to use that? And so that feedback is invaluable, because otherwise, if everyone is like, okay, that's nice. You might go ahead and build all these things and eh, it doesn't really increase revenue or increase performance or increase happiness at all. So I think it's a good tool for, and that's why it has to be dynamic. If people are like, no, we hate that idea or they're like, we don't care about that idea. You you take it off or you move it further down the road and put something else that, that they're more interested in.
1: And we like to take the information given back. We're like, okay, it sounds like you probably want this. So we're going to pilot it. So like we're going to develop this very slim version of what we think could be the product. And we're going to just open this up in Idaho or in Florida because everybody loves Florida, right? So we're going to (laughs) open this up in Florida. And then if Florida and Idaho give us back great results, then we're going to actually invest the time to full market this and then open it up to the company. So I think first, like you said, you get the buyback from the people who are using your system, who are your market, who are the people who know what's going on in it. And then you're like, OK, sounds like it's doable. And then either you decide to do it or create a very slim version of it and create a pilot and see how it goes and then grow it.
0: Hmm. That's cool. That's a good idea.
3: No, you guys are giving me fantastic feedback. This is great. Hey. This is mostly unrelated, but. <laughs> so, sometimes I think about it. Work we uh, uh, people on the product side of the house. I feel like sometimes have an, an I want to call it a strange aversion to just doing things for our most mm, high money clients. Like I, I, I probably can't, you know, like Acme Corporation. Let's say theoretically, <laughs> Acme Corporation has a two million dollar a year contract.
1: Yeah, and
3: their admin comes and says, hey, it'd be really great if I could hit a button and generate a report for something Mm. that no one else will need. And the product people look at that and go, oh, well, that's not really generally applicable. I don't think that'll help anyone. And I look at that conversation. I'm like, that's a $2 million a year contract. I don't care if it helps anyone else. Like, I feel like it would be cost effective to literally dedicate an engineer full time Mm. to them and just build them whatever they want, because there's no way we're paying an engineer $2 million a year. So, like, why not just throw resources at it?
1: Sometimes they make terrible decisions and back themselves in the holes that you have to support for years down the road. So (laughs) she
0: she talks from a place of knowledge. That
1: might not be the best idea. Like, sometimes you do need the expertise of everyone using the system to understand that what they're requesting is dumb. Like, you don't want to use the system that way. Like, do you understand, like, how you're trying to achieve this is not smart. Let me show you how to achieve it correctly. And then if it doesn't work for you, let's talk about why this doesn't work for you. Instead, you assign an engineer to it and they're like, okay, I've been told to do everything you say to do. So I'm just your yes man. And now I am introducing problem after problem because this <laughs> you was never you meant to be <laughs> <laughs> Bad sorry, idea. Carol, this is a I'm bad sorry. idea.
0: And that's why you don't <laughs> let your customers be your product manager. You do
1: not. There needs to be a very clear like line between the two because otherwise bad things happen.
3: I totally get that. I totally get that. I think it, it's easy to go hard in the other direction where you basically don't treat your special customers special. I mean, frankly, I, yeah. I mean, it depends on the type of industry you're in, but we definitely have special customers sure. that their vote is like a thousand times more important than a lot of other people's votes, voting with their pocket, and you know votes. your, your <laughs> competitors
0: are going after them first, yeah. right? Your competitors are going after the big guys, not the little guys. Yeah. So and you like
1: want to keep them happier.
3: Yeah, you just want to make them happy. And to Carol's point, and I totally agree with this, if they're asking for stuff that is going to be hard to maintain or it's going to cause problems, like, yeah, you can have a conversation. But a lot of times, People want something that you can really build in a fairly isolated way. And you could even with cough, feature flags, cough, uh, (laughs) you know, only turn it on for them. Them, yeah. And you're like, let's just do it. Let's like not even have a conversation about it. Let's just make it happen for them. It's going to make them really happy and maybe it'll help them with a contract renewal.
1: Like as you're saying that, I'm thinking about how many places through the code base we have right now where it says if this customer... This way, (laughs) else everyone else, right? Because we're like, okay, you're a big fish. So, yeah, you get some custom logic in here. So, I get it it does happen, and you do what you can to try to keep your big customers happy and coming back, but don't dedicate an engineer to them, okay?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of companies where they just kind of say, here, here's a bunch of developers, do whatever you want with them, and then you think that makes them happy. And it does for a little while, and then years later, they're not happy because they asked for a lot of things that were kind of really, yeah, yeah I've yeah, seen yeah. it. So you got to have, have a product team making sure the, the product has to come yeah, first.
1: Yeah, the product's first.
3: But it is interesting because big customers in a lot of companies can have special support contracts where they get either dedicated support personnel or they get phone support or something that not everyone else gets because they've paid for it. So it is interesting. Clearly, we treat them special in some ways, and it does feel like there's, I think it would be great to have a little bit more wiggle room sometimes and treating them in more technical (laughs) ways as well. But anyway, I'm off my soapbox. It's
0: all right. So, I mean, as as far as roadmaps, that's kind of really what we have so far. We didn't cover all of it. But I mean, one thing since here, I totally agree with is when it comes to The external view is a high-level roadmap can't be used to pin you down on a specific point or feature. And you have to make that clear when you present it to your customers. It's like, this is a roadmap. It's a plan. And as you know, sometimes there's detours. It's a plan, right? So this is what we're working toward. This is what our resources are going toward. Until we need to make a change and we'll, we'll let you know. The most important thing is to communicate when you make that change. Don't do it in silent. And then like six months later, and like, hey, you said so-and-so will be like, you know, oh, yeah, we changed our mind. We're doing this. Well, that makes it look like you didn't communicate with them. Then it makes it look like you, you're you
3: not trustworthy. Yeah. Bro, and that's that's All you got to do is put all dates subject to change. Piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> no questions
1: asked.
3: <laughs> done.
2: All right. That seems like a good place to stop. So this episode of Working Code is brought to you by doing literally anything that a high paying customer wants. That's a surefire path to keeping them happy and those contract renewals coming in. Oh
1: my God. Uh,
2: And listeners like you. Sorry, Carol. (laughs) If you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks to our top patrons, Monty, Gavin, and Sean. You guys rock. If you'd like to join our, our patron squad, you can go to patreon.com slash Pod. All of our patrons get early access to new episodes and our after show. Tonight on the after show, they're still typing in the document, so i got to try and decipher as they type. It looks like we're going to discuss, is Ben's MacBook Pro a $3,000 paperweight? Why are teenagers not wanting to learn how to drive and flying down to support a high-paying customer in a hurricane. That sounds like it's going to be a good one. So your homework this week. You know what? Based on this discussion, I just have to feel there's going to be a whole bunch of people listening that wish they could have been part of this discussion, that could have given us advice or shot down some of the things that we said. <laughs> if you're one of those people, the place that you want to go is to our Discord. You go to workingcode.dev slash Discord. It's a chat. It's just like Slack or anything else. You can... Join our Discord and discuss all of those things and more with, uh, not only with us, but with the rest of the podcast listening community out there. So we look forward to seeing they're, you there. They're a chatty bunch. Oh, yeah. It's a great
1: place to hang out. Can't keep up.
2: <laughs> so let's see. Send us your topics and questions if you got those. You can find us at Working Code Pod on Twitter or Instagram. Like I mentioned, our Discord, that's a great place to bring them to us. You can email them to us at workingcodepod at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice memo to workingcodepod at gmail.com. That's another great idea. We have one. I meant, gosh. We
1: forgot. uh,
2: We forgot again. (laughs) Gavin, I know. I'm sorry. It's totally my fault. I keep forgetting to bring it up when we have our quick catch up Uh. discussion before we start recording. We will. So, Gavin sent this nice voice memo. We will. I'm committing. We'll play it next week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <I hope. laughs> put in our notes right okay so that's going to do it for us this week we'll catch you next week and until then
0: remember your heart matters and our patrons even more <laughs> <laughs>
1: bye guys You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.